Hey everyone, this is Chris Benton from the Metro Buzz, where we bring leaders of Middle Tennessee on just to talk about a little bit of their story, their businesses, and what professions they're part of. And today we're excited to have Dan Burkert coming on, founder of Menu by Wicked Tasty. And we're going to talk about both the menu, the Wicked Tasty, and a little bit of his story. And we're excited to see where this goes. So Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, Chris, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to share a little bit more about what we're doing with you and our, your audience. Sounds great. Um, and I like to start my show out the same way I do every time. Um, it's tough for everybody. I know you know this, especially for what you do. Um, but how has COVID affected what you do? And what are, how have you maneuvered through this? Well, <laughs> so actually, that, that's a great question. And COVID actually totally changed what we did. So uh, a little background on, on myself, you kind of mentioned the different things that we have our hands in here. So I'm wearing this hat um, for those of the, your your followers who are, who are watching this. And that's our little symbol for our Instagram page, Wicked Tasty. So in 2019, my fiance and I moved down here to Nashville. We started an Instagram page focused on the food and beverage scene around Nashville. It's an amazing culinary city. We love how many independently owned and operated, locally operated restaurants there are around town. And we wanted to have a platform to showcase that to fellow Nashvillians and, and tourists. And um, we grew that following from you know nothing to over 10,000 followers. And huh? when COVID hit, um, we were gearing up to launch a photography business because we saw an opportunity with our photography skills to go in and, and partner with restaurants, provide them great high quality photos and mm. um, help them with their social media strategy because that was something that we you know, quickly learned and, and became good at. Literally two weeks before we were about to launch uh, at the beginning of April 2020, everything shut down and oh, services wow. like photography and social media for local and independent right. restaurants kind of went to the back of the priority. Not existent. Yeah, as they just were focusing on how the heck they keep the doors open, right? How do they survive and, and make sure that, you know, they can come through this, this crisis um, with their business intact. So um, when restaurants started reopening in May of last year, we noticed that a lot of them were adopting QR menus. Mm -hmm. So we started going back out to restaurants and bars and scanning the menus with our phone. And we were like, you know, this is cool and really convenient, but the technology kind of stinks. Like it's hmm. not easy to view a PDF file that was meant oh, to be yeah. viewed on like an eight by 11 piece of paper on my little smartphone. And we're like, there's definitely gotta be a better way for restaurants to leverage this technology, provide a better guest experience and also, you know, help the restaurants. So that's where we came up with the idea for menu. So long story short, we're actually building a platform sort of based off of a need that we saw that that arose during COVID-19. So it totally took our business in a different direction than at the beginning of 2020, we thought we were going, but it's an exciting direction. And I think it's gonna provide a lot of value for restaurants, not only here in Nashville, but nationally as we begin to scale this brand. And we know exactly what you're talking about. Cause you know, we launched a show called the Chris and Sandy show where we um, bring entertainers on and interview them. Mm -hmm. um, and we launched that January of 2020. And so a couple months before COVID hits and our original yeah. plan was to do a hundred interviews with that show the first year. And we thought, we thought that would be pushing it if we did that. And then COVID hits and it was originally a, a country music up and coming country music show. And when COVID hits, I told Sandy, you know what, it's time to pivot. You know, we, we got a great show. Um, but because everything is slowed down, we might get bigger artists that would normally say no to a brand new show that might mm -hmm. say, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And because of that, we ended up doing over 300 interviews last year. That's and crazy. we had to pivot a couple of times because we, we, it started out as just country music. Then it became mm-hmm. a music. Then it became an entertainment interview show. We bring on actors and artists and authors and stuff. So anything in entertainment. And again, we kind of owe COVID that because it helped us see a different path for us. And it kind of exploded the show for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been cool to see even just within the hospitality industry, really any industry, how people have used the pandemic to pivot. Obviously, Mm -hmm. 2020 was a tough year for a lot of businesses across the country, but I think it also helped a lot of business owners and opened their eyes to what other ways they can, you know, adapt their business, you know, diversify their revenue streams. Like I think about the hospitality industry where pre-COVID, probably 85% of all the business restaurants did was in-house dining. The other 15% was takeaway and catering and stuff like that. And now I, you know, we're moving probably more towards a model where it might be like 50%, 60% in-house dining. Some of it's going to be carry out catering. Some of it's going to be things like gold belly or, you know, chefs leading Instagram live classes where you have to buy a meal kit from them. Like there's going to, I think 2020 really, open people's eyes to the possibilities and the brands that that local chefs and local entrepreneurs had with their restaurants and mm-hmm. hopefully will give them a stronger platform going forward as we come to the other end of the, the pandemic. Yeah, because I think even when we get out of the pandemic, I think although that um, people will come back and start dining again, mm-hmm. I think though that you're going to still have a big portion of people that says, you know what, I really like this ordering food and getting it mm-hmm. delivered to my door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So things like DoorDash and Uber Eats and all that, they exploded because of all this. Mm-hmm. Yep, they did. And, you know, there's, I think, a lot of opportunity for new players to come in the game, too, and also help restaurants in a way that's beneficial to their bottom line. I think, you know, not not to go full blast on, on those delivery companies, but one of the things that was really challenging we saw in 2020 is restaurants were sort of struggling to literally pay their bills and figuring out how do we, you know, retain as many employees as we can so we don't have to lay people off while we're still, you know, keeping the doors open and obviously moving to delivery as people were very nervous about going back and eating and didn't feel comfortable going back and eating in restaurants. Delivery was a great option for people to still enjoy those foods, but um, the fees that those companies were taking from the restaurants was incredibly high in some cases in excess of 30% of the restaurant's revenue. So you buy a $9 burger from a restaurant, the burger, the restaurant's only getting six bucks of that. Um, and for you know, restaurants, there's a lot of marketing things mm-hmm. out there, like your dining cards and not take 50%. Mm-hmm. And it's like to, for restaurants that are literally already struggling to scrape by losing almost their entire margin it, for them, like, I think they were using those out of necessity and it was kind of a no win, <laughs> no win scenario where it's like, if we're, if we're not on Uber Eats, DoorDash and all that, we're not going to get the visibility and the exposure to, to get those customers and continue to keep our brand alive. But at the same time, if we're on those the margins are so thin that is it even worth it for us to to sell the food? Like we're hardly making any money on on the food we're selling. So, you know, it kind of put them in a rock and a hard place. And I think that, you know, carry out and and all that's going to be something that's here for the long run. And, you know, consumers are going to continue to use that. But I think the core of the hospitality industry is still always going to be in-house dining. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, what we're trying to do with menu is really provide restaurants with a, 
ROI positive tool, something that positively impacts their bottom line and isn't, you know, squeezing their margins and, um, you know, making it tough for them and making it a tough business decision to whether or not to use the software or not. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, the the Uber Eats and, and all of that will will still be here and restaurants, I think will still rely on that. But I think there's a lot of opportunities for new tech companies to come in and disrupt the space and um, provide restaurants with a better tool. And I've already seen it across town, like obviously with what we're doing, but I've seen some cool stuff where the catering companies are doing, um, like that, that are taking on like some of the big, the big caterer, caterers like Easy Cater and stuff like that. Um, there's a new delivery company that just launched in town that's fee-based rather than taking a percentage of sales. So it's like a monthly fee. So there's already rest, there's already some tech players coming in and disrupting the industry, which is pretty cool to see and exciting to see and hopefully helpful for restaurants as well. It's exciting to see on the one side of it, but I bet the drivers don't get as much then. That that's you know that's another dilemma is you know mm -hmm. a driver drives to a restaurant to go yep. pick up food mm -hmm. and then delivers it to that food. Yep. And, and many people don't tip. So, mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you've got a delivery service that's the middleman. They don't make as much money as um, as the re restaurant and all that. So they give up pieces to like the drivers. So mm -hmm. the driver might get three bucks from say DoorDash. Yeah. And and all of a sudden you you're you waited forty minutes for the um, restaurant to get the food done. Mm -hmm. So you just made three bucks an hour. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So I was reading, a, I think it was Wall, either Wall Street Journal or Forbes article last week. And it was, they took a look at like Shake Shack. They have like a burger that's $9 and they, mm -hmm. they did, they ordered it. Someone ordered it through one of the delivery apps and it cost them almost $19 to order this $9 burger. And then they kind of did an analysis of where all that money went. 30% of that, of the, the $9 went to, to Uber Eats. Then the other $10 was, a 30% fee to the consumer. So like the Uber Eats was taking 30% from the restaurant, 30% from the consumer. Then there was the, there was the delivery charge with, which was like six or seven bucks, but out of that six and seven bucks, I think it's only like 20% or something goes to the driver. So then Uber Eats is getting that other 80%. And then, yeah, there is some people, they I think they tipped a couple bucks. So the driver ended up making like five bucks. The restaurant made like six bucks and you know, Uber Eats made like 10 bucks. So it's like <laughs> the, the driver in the restaurant got 50% and Uber Eats got 50%, which is kind of crazy. Crazy, huh? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you, you just never know where it's all going to lead. Like you said, there'll be disruptors and people have to mm -hmm. change their fee structures. And eventually, I guess in a year or two, America will figure a middle ground because there'll probably mm -hmm. be with less fees that but at the same time pay drivers more and then yep. you know there's definitely got to be a balance in there because mm -hmm. you know you can't have drivers going bankrupt by delivering food either mm -hmm. i mean it's one of them catch 22s it's like you want the food to come to your door but you're going to be paying outrageous fees in order to get it to your door so i think you know it's like with convenience stores i mean many people shop at convenience stores you go buy milk at convenience store it's six bucks you buy it at the mm -hmm. walmart too. You're paying right. for the, you're kind of paying for the convenience. So I, mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling that's probably where um, the delivery food industries will probably go to be more convenient. Right now, it's been necessity because, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think eventually it'll become once we start to go back to normal, uh, become a lot more of um, where it's more of a convenience again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you said you moved. Uh, Nashville in 2019. Yep. Yeah. Where, where were you before that? So 
born and raised in Connecticut, and that's where I met my fiance, Michelle. Um, we actually went to college together, but we never knew each other when we were at school. Um, we went to UConn, and we ended up meeting like a year or two after we had graduated uh, at a bar <laughs> randomly. Um, and we've been together for five years now. So we lived in Connecticut. We lived apart, <laughs> but we lived in Connecticut. <laughs> we both lived in Connecticut. And in 2019, I had an opportunity to quit my job, leave the corporate world, um, and try kind of striking out on my own and, and building something for myself and being an entrepreneur was something I've always aspired to do. And I'd saved a lot of money and always waited for that opportunity. And when that opportunity presented itself, we said, Hey, you know, Connecticut isn't necessarily a beacon for starting new businesses. You know, it's not, it's not a, a state where it's economically growing. Um, <laughs> There's, there's got to be a better market out there. And we had visited Nashville like three or four, four years in a row. And we just fell in love with the city. And yeah. um, we were like, why don't we just move to Nashville? Like we love it. We love it there. Wow. Everything about the city is amazing. So we, we literally um, were on a trip and here and we had a half day where we were doing nothing. And we were like, let's go look at apartments. We found uh, an apartment with a floor plan that we liked. And we literally told the leasing office when this unit becomes available whenever it is let us know and we're going to move and it was like a couple months later they sent us an email and like literally within 30 minutes we had signed the lease and we were uh ready to move to nashville wow and mm -hmm. and you know before covid um nashville was growing by 100 people a day yeah <laughs> you know and and i believe it's going to get back to that once it, oh, we'll get through this pandemic because um Every all the articles I've been reading that a lot of people in LA, New York, and Chicago, places like that, the major cities, mm -hmm. um, they're ready to move. They they want they don't want a big big city anymore, but they still want where things are going on. And Nashville seems to be one of the fits that a lot of people from those big cities are deciding to move to. Yeah, it's like Nashville and Austin are like the two places you always hear that people are moving from New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, like everyone's coming to, to Nashville. And I think, you know, this is my opinion on this, but I think that part of the reason why they love cities like Nashville and Austin is, you know, you kind of mentioned with, with your show, the Chris Sandy show, you guys were interviewing people in the entertainment industry. We have such a vibrant music culture here and entertainment culture. You know, I'm sure that draws a lot of people, but I, I personally think, and again, I'm biased, but I love the hospitality industry here in Nashville. And I think the, the food and the, the amount of options, whether you want, fast casual, whether you want barbecue, whether you want upscale dining, whether you want something ethnic, it, we have so many op options. And the cool thing is, is that almost all of those options are all locally owned restaurants and chefs wow. and, and chefs that actually are here in the community. And I think that just attracts so many people. Like, uh, I'm like, when, when was the last time you ever heard someone say, I went on a vacation to XYZ city and the food sucked, right? Like, People, I think, love going to a place and it makes a place a destination when the food and the bar scene is amazing. And we have that here in Nashville. And I think that's what's really attracting people to town. And I know that's what attracted us. So, Yeah, because Nashville is definitely the center place. I mean, there's pretty much nothing you can't do in Nashville. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the great and, thing is it's not a major city. I mean, it's a major city, but it's not mm -hmm. L.A. It's not now, now, granted, traffic is getting bad, but it's still not mm -hmm. L.A. bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, the traffic down here does. So, be I lived in the New York City metro area for two years. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. you know, I down down in southern south southwest Connecticut, and traffic down there was bad. <laughs> that was bad. You know, you could go, I don't know, five miles on the highway in an hour during rush hour. You know, like you you don't move at all, and 
you know, yeah, the traffic down here kind of stinks a little bit, but like Michelle used to commute back and forth to Brentwood. And I still think during rush hour, she would be able to get from downtown to Brentwood in like, I don't know, half hour less. So, you know, it's all about perspective, I think, you know. Exactly. (laughs) Now, as you know, a lot of people, they see the business owner and they think that, oh, it's all um, great and all that. But there's a lot of struggles and sacrifice that goes into not just launching your business, but keeping your business going. Let's talk a little bit about that. What's the struggle and sacrifice been like for you in running all this? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think something to, to your point, I'm going to answer it two ways. I'm going to talk a little okay. bit about myself and then also what I've observed in the restaurant industry. So for myself, you know, being an entrepreneur is something that's always been a lifelong dream. And for four or five years, I put myself through hell, through a job that I, I enjoyed my coworkers. Um, I was really thankful for the the opportunity and, and, and what I had, but like it wasn't fulfilling to me. Um, but I grinded really hard and I made a lot of money. And I don't say that to brag, but like I was saving that money because I had a dream and a vision that I wanted to do something. And I knew in order to have that opportunity. Your phone's breaking I mean, up hey, or your computer. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I heard that. Okay. Am I, how about now? Can you hear me? It's, Chris, you're, let me, let me, I'm, let me. Your pit, you're fr- up. There you are. You just, I think you just unfroze. Okay. Let me just check my Wi-Fi that, really that, quick. That's the bad thing yeah. about video. You just never know mm-hmm. if it's going to go perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but can you, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to go. And if you have trouble hearing me, just let me know. But, um, but yeah, yeah. I, you're back now okay i'm back now all right cool so you know you know i put myself through a job that i really hated for you know four or five years and it was all because i knew that i wanted to live this dream of being an entrepreneur so you know for me that was the sacrifice i had to make personally and it took a toll on myself mentally it took a toll on myself physically like it definitely wasn't easy um i think having a little more maturity when i was going through that would have helped you know that was my first job out of college um, and I was still young. So I think that like, if I were to go back, I've always told myself, you know, I saved money to be able to put myself through a couple years and really give myself one run at at building a business. And if it fails, then I gotta go back to the corporate world and do it again. But I think hopefully, you know, if I ever did have to go back, I'd have the maturity and the mindset to realize that it's not the end of the world and life is a long journey. Um, So for me, like that was really the sacrifice that I, I, had to make and it was a learning experience um but you know it's not it it it's something that i think it helped me mature and grow as a person um and you know that that's been like the biggest sacrifice i had i had to make is what it took to get here but you know i love what we're doing and um you know it we work on this and we're always thinking about this seven days a week so it's you know not something that we'd be able to do if we didn't love it. Um, you know, obviously there's sacrifices that go along with that as well. You know, we're, we spend a lot of time, you know, doing this when we could be doing other things. We haven't taken a vacation or traveled really since we've moved here. We went, we've been home a few times just for the holidays, but you know, we haven't, you know, gone on the nice trips that we used to be able to take and stuff like that when I had a corporate job and we were making some money um, because we're on a budget. So, you know, we've had to make some sacrifices in our personal life, but it's because we love it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, you know, I don't know, it, but it, it's it's 
been worth it to us 100%. And I always want people to hear that about the sacrifice because I think sometimes people forget that the business owner, the restaurant owner, the blog owner, the you know, the whatever owner, they make a lot of sacrifices mm -hmm. for such little pay a lot of times, especially the first five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. We haven't, I haven't made a single, a single penny <laughs> with what we're doing so far. So, you know, I'm hopeful that this year we're going to start bringing in some revenue, um, especially as we launch the menu platform and go live with that in, in April. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a grind for the last year and a half and it's really been about building that found foundation and building that base. Like we knew in order to do this, I think at the scale we wanted and with, the effectiveness that we wanted. It was gonna take a lot of work to build that base. So like I mentioned, we have the, the Wicked Tasty Instagram page and through that page, we grew from zero followers to I think we're at like 10.6 thousand followers right now. Wow. Um, and that was just a lot of hard work and you know, going out and taking, taking pictures, letting the food get cold to make sure we get the right shot. I mean, it sounds <laughs> stupid and, and foolish to say that's a challenge, but you know, Michelle was ready to eat and I'm like, no, 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 two more pictures, two more pictures, you know, to make sure we have the right shot. But I, you know, for me, I always thought I'd rather, I, I want to make sure I have the foundation and the base for the business before we, we actually try to monetize it. Like, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to jump the gun because sometimes you really only get one shot and over the last year and a half we've used our wicked tasty platform to really immerse ourselves in the nashville culinary community learn about hospitality because before this i didn't have any experience in the hospitality industry so like that was a, i learned a lot about hospitality um and that's a, another thing i have so much respect for the the small business owners and restaurant owners across town because i think a lot of people that cook and you know can make good food they're you know they can make a good drink at home but they think oh, i can go open a bar i can go to, go open a restaurant but like after i've been talking to these people and just networking around town and really getting to see the ins and outs of what goes into running a, a business and being profitable and being successful especially through challenging times like we just went through it's it's amazing you know the amount of business skill that that these restaurant owners and gms and chefs have to keep their their businesses afloat so we you know basically used the last year and a half to get a, a, a master's degree in hospitality, if you will, and um, networking around town, really making sure that, you know, we had connections within the industry. So as we start to launch menu, you know, hopefully we'll be able to rely on those connections that we've made um, to get the word out about what we're doing and, um, you know, leverage our platform and our base. So I love that philosophy because it's kind of what we're doing with the Chris and Sandy show or other show. Mm -hmm is it's not made a dime yet even though we've interviewed 350 people but mm -hmm. we're trying to build that platform out get it solid like you said you've got one chance to make it what i don't want to do is get a few sponsors for that show mm -hmm. and then have to go and then all of a sudden we grow and then go up in price and we lose the sponsors yeah and and and, and you know i'd rather just wait plus there's a price point of sponsorship that i that I want to get until mm -hmm. we get there. I don't want to bring people on because I'm like, then it's not worth it for them. So I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what, when we get to that point, then I will monetize it. Yeah. And I think for everyone, it's going to be different. Like for you and, and for me, like, it sounds like we kind of had the luxury of we can play the long game and we can make sure we had time to build that base. Like for myself, like that was always the plan from the beginning to give myself mm -hmm. a few years of runway to make sure I had time to really build that strong foundation for whatever yeah. business we wanted to, we wanted to build. And you got to have that in this day and time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
but there's some people, unfortunately, who, who don't have that luxury of, you know, being in the financial position to do it and they have to monetize early and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, you know, and there's a million different ways to launch a business and scale a business. And this is just how we've done it. But I think that it's been a really, it's been a really effective way um, because one, we got to learn about an industry we didn't know anything about. And then two, we were rather than kind of spamming our, our following on Instagram and stuff like that. And we had, we had a podcast as well. And I never took any sponsors, even though I had some opportunities to do that. Um, I just felt like selling, selling out. I, I don't want to call it selling out because it's not selling out because ever, ever no, because people got to pay the bills and, and a lot of sponsors, a lot of podcasts have sponsors and there's definitely nothing wrong with that. But for me, I was like, you know, I'm, I want to, I don't want to turn someone off and think, Oh, here's just another, person that because I think the, the, the influencer culture, I think it's like gotten a bad rap where they're like, Oh, here's another person who thinks that they're going to make money by having an Instagram page, by having a podcast. And yeah. I wanted people to maybe take us a little more serious than that and know like we have a bigger goal and bigger vision than, you know, just getting a free meal or, you know, yeah. getting a couple, you know, a couple hundred dollars to, to promote someone's thing. So, um, and you know, that's for us, kind of our philosophy too, you know, with mm -hmm. our show, you know, I, I'm not saying I won't take sponsors, but I'm trying mm -hmm. to find a way to monetize the Chris and Sandy show without taking sponsors where, you know, whether it's through merch and all mm -hmm. that, to build that, you know, so I, you know, I would rather not, but I also know that we might get to a point to where if it's growing and we're not, it's, we're not able to monetize it in other ways and we may have to, but my goal is kind of the, that would be the last resort type thing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's ever, like I said, there's a million ways to, to start a business and to monetize a business. And I think everyone has their own philosophy and I think it's dictated on, you know, their financial position and, you know, how, how they're set up from that standpoint and can they afford to build that brand without taking yeah. money in the short term. And if you can, I think that's the way to go if, if you can afford it, because I think that it's going to, it, it helps build some, you know, genuine you know a, a more loyal genuine follower following yeah. it's not you know i don't know uh, that's just personally how i feel about it <laughs> i definitely understand that now as you know a, a lot of business owners they have a team and mm -hmm. without the team you can't do what you do so if you and i always like the team the team never gets the love it's always the front man the ceo the president of any company they get the recognition but mm -hmm. on our shows, I always make sure the teams get some love too. So if you want to take a few minutes just to tell us about the team that helps you be with who you are. Oh, absolutely. I, I would not be here first and foremost without Michelle. She's my rock both in the business world and in the personal world. So <laughs> um, this wouldn't have happened at all without her. And you know, she also has been with me. I kind of alluded to it earlier when I was talking about the hell I put myself through in the corporate world um, kind of to put myself in the position to do this. I went through some really challenging things on the personal side. Um, and she was there with me the entire time and supported me and, and helped me through those, those personal challenges and, you know, couldn't have been here without her. So first and foremost, you know, she's been awesome. <laughs> um, so Michelle's the co-creator of Wicked Tasty and I also got to give her credit. She's the one who came up with the Wicked Tasty Instagram name. Um, oh, wow. She, she created that account in like 2017, 2018. So like a year or two before we even, you know, thought about building it. She just was like, Hey, like, this would be a cool name to start a food blog if you ever wanted to do that. Um, so she, she grabbed the handle and we literally never posted, never did anything. And then when we moved to Nashville, she's like, Hey, well, we have this handle. So, wow. Um, she, she has a full-time job. 
um, outside of this. So she's, you know, kind of more in a high level um, with us and she helps me with everything from, um, you know, planning out what we're gonna be, what where we're gonna be eating, what we're gonna be posting, um, you know, how we're gonna be engaging with people through the Wicked Tasty page. So she's been a huge help for me to like really set the strategy and and set the, the focus and also be my guide rails and really focus me there, focus me, focus me on that. Um, and then with menu, uh, and I know I haven't really talked a lot about that on here. So let me just give a quick elevator pitch on what menu is for anyone listening, because uh, we've referenced it a few times. So menu is a digital menu solution that we're creating. So when you go out to a restaurant and you scan the QR code, rather than getting a PDF file on your phone, you get pictures. So I think pictures sell food. Um, people yep. are really used to you know looking at Instagram and seeing pictures on Instagram and restaurants spend a lot of money getting beautiful photos, posting them on Instagram, but then they give their guests, you know, a PDF file um, with no pictures. So we're basically marrying pictures into a menu, providing a great guest experience and, and allowing restaurants to really highlight what, what makes their food unique. Um, and so when we launched that, Michelle's been by my side with that. And then I've also started partnering up with um, a great developer, Col Culturberg, and um, he is building out our entire back end of this platform. So I created the front end, which is the picture-based menu through a third-party site called Wix. So that was essentially um, essentially kind of what I called my beta platform. It was just to test the concept, do picture-based menus actually help restaurants sell more food? Does it provide a better guest experience? And the answer was yes. We, we learned that through some beta partners in town, Stock and Barrel, um, Avo over in West Nashville, Fat Bottom, um, the hop yard over in, in the nations. And we got to the point where if I ever wanted to scale this, we actually needed a backend where rest, where restaurants could go in and actually manage their own menu, create their own menu, upload it themselves. Cause I was, I was building it all, all of it on my, my own end. So we're partnering with Coulter, um, and his, and his development team to build it out. And he's been amazing to work with, um, like what he's accomplished so far, like the platform is going to be beautiful. It's going to be really cool. I'm so excited. We're going to have um, it in the staging environment in the next couple of weeks. And I'm so excited to play around with it. Um, so he's been super helpful. Um, Emily, who we have on as our PR person, she's been incredible with helping me actually tailor my pitch because I'm the type of person who just blabbers and blabbers and blabbers and <laughs> doesn't know when <laughs> to shut up. Um, so she's been, she's been really helpful. that. Mm -hmm. She's been really helpful, like helping me really refine the vision and um, really think about how we want to message, you know, what we're doing with the company and the brand and, and the business and as we scale it and grow it. So she's been amazing. Um, and then I also want to give a shout out to my friend, Sean. Uh, so he's sort of helping me out from a sales and, and marketing perspective. And um, Sean has been just a great sounding board. He worked on a, another app here in town called the house app and they were bring an app that Charlotte. <laughs> bring it to Charlotte. Yeah, absolutely. If, if anyone, if you know, any restaurants in Charlotte that you'd like to get this in, shoot, shoot me in a, an email or shoot me a message over on Wicked Tasty and we'll, we'll work on hooking them up. But, uh, but yeah, Sean, Sean's been awesome. He's, he has experience in, in the digital um space within the restaurant community so he's been an amazing sounding board and couldn't be here without him too because he's been the one sort of guiding me and helping me make some strategic decisions um as we thought about building the back end and finding culture and um really working also more on like the technical side but like the messaging there and like the features and stuff like that so it, i have an amazing i have an amazing team and 
absolutely could not be here without them. It's, you know, I had, I had an idea um, that was cool, but, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have been able to execute it without the people I surround myself with. And I love that. And speaking of teams, we've got a third co-host, our little nine-year-old that we let come on and ask a question or two to each of the guests. So Sandy, Sandy's listening right now, so she can go on and send him in here. Um, but we have a yeah. nine-year-old and we've got an almost two-year-old little daughter that when she gets older, we'll be plugging her into all of our shows. <laughs> we are a family affair show. That's awesome. I love it. So much. I mean, what, you- what, what better thing can you do? You know, again, there are some careers that you can't do that with, but if you can, why not? I know that that's awesome. It honestly, like that's, that's the thing that I love about small businesses too, is, you know, there's people that are actually involved. And I think small businesses recognize that, that, you know, life is about people. It's not just about products or business or, you know, something like that. And that's, what's been amazing about the the small business community is, the people. So, so what's, what questions you got for me? You ready to grill me? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, hi Dan. So what's your, what's your favorite food? Hmm. My favorite food. So I think if I could only eat one food for the rest of my life, it'd probably be pizza. Hmm. Yeah. Cause what's yours? Mine is pizza. <laughs> yeah. All right. Perfect. We're friends. <laughs> yeah, he could eat it. He could eat it all day long too. Mm-hmm. What type of pizza is your favorite? Uh, pepperoni and sausage. Ooh, that's awesome! I I need to try that. I like. I was gonna say pepperoni, but I'm I'm definitely down to try pepperoni with sausage. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, he's definitely a meat eater. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. All right. So, what's your favorite? Um, I mean, what's your favorite restaurant? All right. So I know I said pizza was my favorite food, but I think my favorite restaurant is Peg Like Porker. And I think you oh, guys actually had Carrie. Yeah, we had on. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love Carrie's. Uh, Carrie's awesome. He's he's hilarious, and uh, Peg Leg is just a really great place. And they epitomize what it means to be a small business, locally owned business, treating your employees correctly. And you know, that's that's my favorite restaurant, and their food is awesome too. <laughs> What's your favorite restaurant. Uh, mine is Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. You like yeah, he loves Cracker they're, Barrel. They're known for their biscuits, right? Is that yeah. what they're known for? Yeah. Yes, and I love their ice cream there. <laughs> Wait, I got one okay, more question. Okay, okay go. so All right. What's your favorite TV show? My favorite TV show. So it's not on TV anymore, but it's The Office. I watch it probably every day. Um, but I don't know. I'm not a big TV person. I, I like to watch sports. I don't do a lot of like TV and stuff like that. I'm not not that culturally, uh, <laughs> not not that cultured, I guess. But how about you? What's your favorite show? Mine is SpongeBob. Oh, I love SpongeBob. SpongeBob's a great show. Yeah. And you know what's been cool about our main show, the Chris and Sandy show, is um, because we get entertainers, actors, artists, and all that. He watches a lot of Nickelodeon shows. So yeah. we've been able to bring a lot of probably five, seven, or eight or so Nickelodeon people from, oh, that's awesome. from our shows he watches onto our show. I grew up watching SpongeBob. That was that was my jam. Who's your favorite character? Hmm, uh, my uh, my favorite character is SpongeBob is Patrick. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> Patrick too. Patrick. <laughs> I like Patrick. <laughs> yes, he's funny. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Bye, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always include <laughs> include him because again, you know, if we can, why not? So Chris, yeah. what's what's your favorite food and favorite restaurant? 
I love Cracker. To be honest, I still like Cracker Barrel. I, I'm with him on that one. I could eat Cracker Barrel all day long. But food, um, hmm. I love Pete. I hate to use his stuff. But, <laughs> but I love chicken. I love a good fried chicken. I tell you, mm. you know, the, the kind that's going to put you in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> Na- like Nashville hot chicken or just like Southern fried? Southern fried. Southern fried. I used to with like hot chicken, but as I'm getting older, my body don't handle spiciness any as much as it used to. And I mm-hmm. love spicy, but I my body don't handle it anymore. <laughs> I know it's like get like an ulcer like after eating that. Like I um <laughs> we had for the Super Bowl we got some Hattie Bees and we got like a whole catering tray for four of us because we love Hattie Bees and we wanted to free some, but we got a couple damn hots, which are like the level up from their hot ones. And I literally oh, had yeah. ha- half of one of those. And like my head was sweating, my stomach was burning. It was hot. <laughs> it's <Wow>. tough. <laughs> so as we wind this down, what advice would you give other people who are either just starting businesses or have already started to kind of help guide them the next few years? Because again, we're in a tough season right now and it's tough in business in any way, but what are some things you've learned that can help guide them? Um, life is long. So be patient. I think we're always, we live in a society now, um, with just having everything at our fingertips and everything being so instant that we expect results and we expect things to happen overnight. Um, when in reality that that doesn't happen, um, from conception of the idea for menu to actually getting it launched, it's going to be a year long process. And if you had told me when we started this, that it was going to take a year to get this to market, I would say, Oh, we're going to get smoked. There's going to be five other platforms out there. You know, this isn't we're, this is way too long. Blah blah blah. And looking back, like I can't believe it was only a year ago when we came up with that. How much wow. we accomplished over the past year. So it's just remember that life is long and don't rush things. Like don't feel pressure to you know to rush things or feel discouraged if things aren't happening as quickly as you'd like because you know things just take a while. And whether it's you know, you're trying to launch a business and you're trying to get your first client and you're like, I want to have 10 clients by the end of our first month of business. And then you end up with one or maybe none. That's okay. Like, you know, it's just, it, life is, life is going to just throw curveballs at you and you just got to keep getting up and keep going at it. And when you look back, I actually put this on LinkedIn the other day, you know, in retrospective life seems like it goes by so quick but in you know forward looking like everything seems so far away um and you just want it now and it's like when you look back and actually think about what you've accomplished over the last month over the last three months over the last six months over the last year it'll like amaze you probably like you'll you'll be like wow like if you told me a year ago that i would be here no way i would have believed you so i think that's the thing is like just remember that it takes that it takes a while to to do it and also i think the other thing that should go without saying but i think it's in but I think we live in the, the type of culture and society where people are really focused on money and like they just want money. It's like, don't do something just for money. Um, there's nothing wrong with making money. I, everyone's got to eat and, you know, and, you know, if you want to make a lot of money and that's what makes you happy, then that's awesome. Um, but at the same time, like don't do something just for the money, because if you're not happy doing it, you're going to, it's going to weigh on you, you know, whether it's okay. starting a business just for the money or whether it's doing a job you hate just for the money, like, I went through that for five years and I know the toll it took on me physically and mentally and um, wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, 
want to see anyone have to go through that specifically for money because I think that's just bad. <laughs> and I like what you said about how wanting it quick and all that. And, and you thought there'd be other platforms that would do what you do. And then if you mm -hmm. didn't grow fast enough, cause I thought the same thing with our show mm -hmm. and, and here, and now, you know, at the very beginning, when we launched the Chris and Sandy show, I remember when I hear people launching new shows, it kind of goes along with what we were doing. I get a little mm -hmm. nervous because I'm mm -hmm. but now I'm like, okay, we're a year, we're over a year in, we're 350 episodes in. We get people on our, I mean, we just recently had Sarah Evans on there. Very few people can get Sarah Evans on their mm -hmm. show and mm -hmm. we got her on the show. Mm -hmm. So I, I finally feel a little more comfortable. Like, okay. Um, even though there's all kinds of people launching now, we're ahead. So as long mm -hmm. as we stay ahead and just keep pushing it and keep pumping the shows out and keep doing it, eventually it's going to take off. And I, think I mean, that's that, great. yeah. And I think like the part of the reason why your show has been so successful is because of the execution, you know, you've continued to stay, stay on it. Like, I think people get scared. They're like, Oh my gosh, like anyone can do this because it's true. Like anyone can start a podcast. It takes a computer, a microphone, and an internet connection to go out and record your voice and upload it to a thing. But not everyone has the desire and the ability to actually execute on that. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, I think the thing to remember too, is like, just because you have a great idea and it might take you a while to see it come to reality, like don't get discouraged that someone else could steal your idea or take your idea or do what you're doing because, you know, my idea for menu wasn't novel. I'm sure that a million other people have thought about putting pictures on a menu, but like <laughs> we're the ones actually going out, investing in it and executing it. Right. So it's like, that was my concern is like, oh my gosh, so many other people are going to think about this and do it. But in reality, like it, that just hasn't happened because to actually do that, it, you know, requires the level of execution. It's so one of them human nature things where, you know, like even with the podcasting, you know, I'm part of a podcast group. And as a, I mean, it's like 50,000 people that's mm -hmm. part of it. So I get to see what's on. And so many people have these great ideas, great podcast ideas. And, mm -hmm. and they want to know, well, what do I buy this and buy that and buy this and buy that? And, and I'm always like, why don't you just pull out your computer, pull out your phone, mm -hmm. record? You may not even like it. You know, you might, you might get eight, 10 episodes in and hate it. And then mm -hmm. you just spent thousands of dollars. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars. Just start where you're at, build from there, see if you even like it because you may not. Because I, I think in the podcast world, I think they say the average podcaster records eight, the ones that actually launch. First off, most people never launch. Mm -hmm. But the ones that do is something like most people quit on their eighth interview or eighth mm -hmm. episode, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really great point is like, for anything in this world today, you don't need expensive equipment, expensive stuff like the internet, the internet sort of like democratized all that and made things so cheap and accessible for anyone. Um, you know, yeah, you're going to compare yourself to NPR or something like that, where they have these professional studios and everything sounds amazing. That's, you know, going to discourage you. But I think we also live in the world now. It's like I watch, you know, the TV news. Right. And it's like half of the interviews on TV now are done via Zoom with you know, someone on, on this. So like the audio isn't great. It's not great quality, but guess what? People don't really care about the quality. They care about the information. It doesn't solve a problem. And that's like kind of what we did with menu. Like I have zero coding experience. So one of my first concerns with launching it was how the heck am I going to do this? I know nothing oh, about wow. coding. How am I going to build this platform? How am I going to create this thing? And what I said was, you know what? Like 
Wix is a free website building platform. Right now, all I need to do is build a proof of concept. And I think with the tools on there, which are pretty like point and click type of tools, I could build something that could at least like prove my concept. So then I could know if it's worthwhile making that investment. So the same thing with the podcast, you know, it's like, you don't have to go out and spend all this money on fancy equipments, building a studio, all this stuff, like launch it first. And if you build a following and you decide that taking it to a route where you need all that fancy stuff is important for your show, then great, go do it. But I also think that you'll realize that you probably don't, you know, like. <laughs> and, and so. what's funny is I even, I've took pictures of my little green screen because I can't tell it, but this is a green screen. Oh, but cool. I, but I took pictures of my setup so that one day down the road when we're big and all that, mm -hmm. and we can show people, look, this is where we started. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we did not have anything extra. We didn't have money to go buy a quit. We, didn't, we mm -hmm. didn't have thousands of dollars to put in this. We just says, you know what? We had a great idea for a show. I had great contacts in Nashville within the music world. And I was like, you know what? I think we could do this. And mm -hmm. my wife and I launched and we just built from there. And we are now over 350 episodes and we're still like pinching ourselves sometimes at night. Like, can you believe who's coming on or who just came on? And I mean, we even had the former CEO of Chipotle come on the other day. That's awesome. Uh, I, mean, I can't. I can't believe you did. You've done 350. I, I saw it um, on your LinkedIn when I was kind of doing my research on you before the show that you had done that many. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? That's like literally almost one a day." Well, in August we did 44 in that one month. Wow. Then we did because like today we got you on the Metro Buzz today, and then at two o'clock we got the Chris and Sandy show because we normally do. We try to do the Chris and Sandy show at two o'clock and sometimes three. I try not to double book, um, mm. try to keep it one. Because when it's double book, my wife can't be on it then on it. But sometimes we have no choice when the right people come in and they only can do this date. Well, guess what? We're going to yeah. put them in there. Mm. You know, but so I try not to double book. But, you know, so we got that. But this show, sometimes she can be on, sometimes she can't, you know, but we've uh, we've this is one of the sacrifices. We're like, you know, we can't be on all of it because we've got a two year old, you know, so kind of a little mm -hmm. tough there. But we balance it the best we can. And but, yeah, it's just been one of the things where I mean, last week because of CR, I mean, being in Nashville, you probably have heard of CRS week. Um they, we were actually invited to be part of that when we did CRS interviews and we did 16 interviews last week. Wow. That's the most we ever done. You, usually we average five to 10 interviews a week. And this week we got nine interviews in itself. But, you know, but last week, whoo, I, I tell you what, I was glad. Sometimes I book them on weekends. Sometimes <laughs> I don't. But this past weekend, I was glad I had nobody. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I am just taking a breather for two days. <laughs> yeah. Let's play, play your throat and voice box kind of reset there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is that, is, it's funny, it's, it's, you know, you you watch all these artists talk about the things they do to keep their voice intact, and and I'm going to have to start doing that myself, because mm -hmm. again, our show goes 30 minute, thirty to 60 minutes on average, and you do that two or three times a day, you know, that, that can get a lot. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. You know, we really enjoyed having you on the show, show today, and we look forward to some updates down the road and bringing you back on. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I'll be glad to come on anytime. Thanks so much for having me. Like, it's cool to, to share my story. And, you know, if there's one thing people take away from this, it's that like, I'm still like the baby deer out there in the business world right now. Like, you know, so take everything I've said sort of with a grain of salt. It's just my perspective. And it's kind of where I am in business right now. And I'm sure five years from now, 
when I look back at this time of my life, there's going to be a lot of things that I wish I changed and did differently. And, you know, I hope to come back and be able to share some of the things that didn't work and, you know, where, where things went wrong, but, you know, hopefully kind of where I, what I shared today and how I got to this point was helpful to the audience listening and, and they took something away from it. So um, yep. you can get in touch with me uh, a couple different ways. So I'd probably say the easiest way to get in touch is through our Instagram, Wicked Tasty. So it's just at Wicked Tasty and the logo is gonna be the logo here that's on my hat. Just shoot me a DM there. Um, you can also email me if that's easier. It's dan at eatwickedtasty.com. So those are the, the two probably best ways to get in touch with me. Love that. And like I said, we really enjoyed having you on the show. We look forward to having you back. Awesome. Thanks, Chris.